0: Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier. Seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Glani. Studies show that women are 76% more likely than men to have visited a doctor within the past year and control 80% of the healthcare decisions in their families. Despite this, women still face many obstacles navigating the healthcare system. Today on Raised Line, we're going to learn more about this area from Hallie Teco, Executive Vice President of Everly Health, which is comprised of the digital health companies EverlyWell, the Natalist, and Everly Health Solutions. Hallie's the founder of Natalist and an influential digital health venture fund, Rock Health. She's also an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School. Everly Health CEO and founder, Julia Cheek, was an early guest on Raised Line, and before we get started, I wanted to give a shout out to, to Hallie for joining us because we first met when I was considering going to HBS for business school, and she, along with her Rock Health co-founder, Nate Gross, who is the co-founder of Doximity, gave me a lot of advice on that path. So it's great to reunite and, and see you here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Well, I'd like to, you know, obviously I know quite a bit about your background, but for our audience's sake, could we start with learning more about you, what got you interested in business development and eventually investing in women's health?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, I started kind of my career in digital health when I founded Rock Health right out of business school, really actually in business school, and then kind of launched it right around graduation and had a, a great run there. And obviously Rock Health is, has continued to make a huge mark on the digital health space, but have always been really passionate about Healthcare innovation and bringing people together to solve some of the most complex problems. I enjoyed that work, but my my time had come to leave San Francisco after nine years, and my husband and I moved east, decided to go to New York. um, And there, I was able to continue to be helpful to Rock Health, but not responsible for Rock Health, which is the way I put it at the time. This was pre-COVID. It was really important that um, you know Rock Health had an office, a very vibrant office, and being in person, I felt was important for the executive director. Had I left, had this been, you know, during COVID, you know, things might've been different, but at the time I, you know, knew that I needed to find a different role just because I wasn't going to be in Silicon Valley anymore. And so Bill Evans, who still is leading today, kind of took the helm and I started kind of dabbling in a couple things. I created and taught the first MBA level course on digital health which I continue to teach at Columbia Business School which is my favorite job I love it it's so much fun working with the MBA students on on digital health investing which is the the content of the course and I continue to invest and support the investments through Rock Health and one of the areas that I started spending more and more time in which when I was at Rock Health we probably invested in maybe one or two women's health companies wildflower health being the most, most well-known one there. But I started spending a lot more time thinking about this area within digital health and within the healthcare space that was underserved. And I, I knew it was underserved as a patient, as a woman, as someone who faced infertility. I you know firsthand realized kind of the lack of solutions and really human-centered approaches to managing care. Um, and reproductive care specifically. And so I started spending more time learning about women's health and investing in companies like Kind Body and Tia. I probably have invested in nine or 10 women's health companies now over the last five or six years. And I, I mean, I love teaching. Um, I love school. I actually went back to school at 35. I got my MBA at 25 and at 35, I went back and got my MPH with a focus on women's and reproductive health. And so that was an awesome experience. I went to Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health and had completely helped me reshape the way I think about investments. So like, I feel like I was a very good investor. In fact, I I am a good investor. I have very good returns on my investments from the learnings, uh, you know, at business school and just, you know, at work, but I wasn't an impact investor. While I, I would have probably liked to think I was, I really wasn't, I really didn't understand the social determinants of health. I didn't understand, I didn't understand public health and the impact that the companies I was investing in could possibly make. And so getting my MPH is like so counterintuitive for someone in business school. And I remember like when I was going, people were like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Is this just like a hobby? And I was like, no, I'm actually, I think this is going to make me a better, more impactful investor. And that is my goal. I want to continue making money. That's important to me. Um, but I think we can do both. And I think having a better understanding of the healthcare system is important for that. Notice I didn't get my MD because I didn't have that much time. Uh, and I, I think I would be a lousy doctor, but <laughs> that was kind of like the next iteration. So I was teaching and um, going to school and investing, started investing in more companies that were impact oriented, like City Block Health, Imperfect Foods, companies that, you know, you might not think of as digital health, but at the end of the day are using innovation and using technology to improve health outcomes. Meanwhile, my husband and I were struggling to get pregnant, was we're dealing with infertility, going through IVF, and I recognized that within women's health, this preconception phase and pregnancy phase was like just entirely lousy. And so I had never invested in a CPG company before. I knew nothing about running a CPG company, but I couldn't get this idea out of my head. So there are just at the time there were like two FDA cleared fertility friendly personal lubricants on the market, and one of them that is the the leader still to this day other than Natalist is one of the leaders in the space, and it's this pro- it's it's an FDA cleared product. You know it's clinically validated to not harm sperm health, but the packaging is like this homey looking woman holding a baby. And it's like, it's, it's terrible packaging and they still haven't updated it. And I really want them to update it. I'm not going to say the company, but you can probably Google it and find out. So we're trying to get pregnant. And I have this like terrible looking box on my bedstand. And I'm just like, why hasn't someone brought the love and care that goes into beauty products that are awful? I mean, beauty products, right? All this like anti-aging stuff. Like I have a whole other bone to pick with the beauty industry, but what they get right is they make you feel good. And these products that you are tricked into buying (laughs) for whatever reason um, have a much better user experience. And you like to have them on your shelf because they're beautifully packaged. And so I had this this idea of like, well, why can't we remake all of these fertility products and pregnancy products and women's health products that we're buying at the store? By the way, all the incumbents are like majority male-owned, male-run on the board, executives, et cetera, companies bringing no empathy to the space. It has been decades since they had actually tried to conceive. So there's just like, just soulless products. And at first I, I had this idea for this company. I bought the domain baby someday. <laughs> and at first I was like, I'm going to put money into this. I, I write checks for founders all the time. Why don't I write find a founder and write them a check and, and get this thing going? I interviewed two potential CEOs for the job and- I like came home and I told my husband, like, I'm so sorry. I know I said I wouldn't start a company, but I think that I have to do this. Like, I am just so passionate about it. It's such a big opportunity. And he was like, uh, he wasn't excited about it, but he's like, okay, well, I actually have this idea that I'm going to start too. (laughs) So we had both, this was like kind of our second, both of us are kind of our second startups. But so that's kind of, that was the genesis of Natalist. I really wanted to just bring a human centered approach to these, these physical products. And again, like I knew nothing about e-commerce. I knew nothing about CPG, but I knew a lot about Healthcare. And I knew a lot about being a woman trying to conceive. And a pregnancy test is probably one of the most like emotionally written products that you could buy and use. Life-changing information is given to you. And you would never guess that if you look at the packaging and read the instructions, just by like redesigning the wording of the instructions, just by putting some love and care into that. Customers like just love our products over the incumbents. So that's, you know, that's, that's my journey. I, um, you know, our our entire team is led by moms and doctors and we're the only female founded fertility and pregnancy brand on the market at CVS, Whole Foods, Target, I think over 6,000 stores now carry our products and we're dedicated to building healthy families, but we also value the progress that we're making towards sustainability and we like to say like, we're, you know, we care about leaving this place, this earth, a better place for our children. And so we have a whole mother earth initiative. All of our products are hundred percent plastic neutral. It doesn't sit well with us that we make single use products. So we do what we can to ensure that our products are recyclable, biodegradable, you know, plastic neutral as, as much as as we can do to, you know, just have a little bit more consciousness around this impact that we're making. And- last year, October, we were acquired by Everly Health. So now we're part of that family as we get into more uh, at-home testing and other capabilities that we can do together.
0: Yeah, it's really quite an incredible journey seeing seeing your career evolve from the sidelines and interacting once in a while at different conferences. Yeah, I remember Seeing your announcement of Natalist and now having you join and be a major part of Everly Health is is really cool. So there's so many threads to pull on. Um, you know, even even this podcast, like you know, we launched this right at the beginning of COVID. It's been two years. We've done 300 episodes. The number of women's health wow. uh, tech uh, ideas and and amazing leaders. You mentioned City Block. We had Toyin, Ajayi on the podcast. Uh, we've had Carrot Fertility, Nurex. We had Chelsea Clinton, who's obviously her firm, yeah. in our Ventures, yeah. is very focused on, on women's health. It's very hardening to see how much attention and and uh, investments are being made in the space. You, you've clearly been a, a major yeah. driver of that. So earlier earlier yeah. this year, you and Julia, uh, who you know we had on the podcast, as mentioned, um, authored a piece for for HBS for HBR arguing, uh, and I'll quote, uh, we must look beyond female anatomy and reproductive health to uncover and rectify the impact of centuries of navigating a healthcare system that wasn't built for women. I wanted to get you your, you know, give you an opportunity to delve further talk about yeah. women in the healthcare system and how we can make it the experience better for them and by extension their families too.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So the the genesis of that article was there's currently some uncertainty. And if we should use the word women for women's health or femtech, and you know how this happened in digital health, like five years ago, which is like, is it digital health? Is it health tech? Is it health 2.0, whatever? We're we're having that same sort of conversation. And I think it's, it's an important conversation because words matter and we want to get it right. But really that article came out of a place of like, well, what is it that we're getting at in this, in this industry? And it's not just products for people with ovaries. And I personally like cringe when I read like this is a product for someone with ovaries. It's like, do not reduce me to my reproductive (laughs) system. Like it's like, it is, it is about we're we're navigating a world that was not designed or built or meant for us. And we're still trying to, um, you know, fill the holes that have been left in a very inadequate system. And this is, this ranges from clinical trials where women are disproportionately not represented um, to maternal health outcomes. I mean, let's face it, if men got pregnant, they would not die at the rate women die. There is a, a lot of sexism that is built into the entire system, literally from like the, from the bench to the bedside. And the overarching goal that I think anyone in this space has within women's health or, or should have is reducing these disparities and improving the health outcomes for women who are in many ways, the backbone of families. We know that women are making the majority of healthcare decisions for their entire families. They're making the appointments, they're picking up the prescriptions they're you know they're the ones showing up and managing not just their health but everyone around them's health they're also more likely to be the caregivers so they're the ones that are taking care of the ch- more more often taking care of the children or the elderly in the household and yet women are not taken care of enough within the system so we really wanted to and that article was great if anybody hasn't read it yet you should read it we got a lot of great feedback on it but we do- we dove into examples of where we have fallen short for women but I think an important piece of of that is that we don't want to leave out, we don't want to serve women at the cost of leaving out anyone who is non-binary, trans, et cetera. I don't think that's the goal of saying women's health. We're not trying to exclude someone who was born female and is, you know, identifies as male. That's that's not the point. The point is that we want to fix set, literally centuries um of inequities for us and, and hopefully everyone will benefit from that
0: yeah no absolutely absolutely and um you know, I think we're seeing a lot of this uh, interest burgeon largely because what's happening in the political scene and obviously there's so much organizations yeah. have to do to respond to what what just came out. So that's a very charged topic that's that's worthy of discussing at some point, but I know we're, we're short on time, so we may not go too <laughs> deep into that. I, I would like to give you the opportunity to talk a bit about Everly Health because when we spoke with Julia, it was very much at-home diagnostic tests, uh, was kind of the staple now with Natalist uh, and the brand kind of growing uh would love to hear kind of what made, you know, how you made that decision to join them, what the yeah. overall uh vision now for the larger entity is.
1: Yeah, so I've i I was one of Julia's first um investors. So I've I've known Julia to her and I were business school classmates and um you know I, I've known her for a long time and have always really admired her leadership. Um and we had a, a obviously mm-hmm. natalis is a much younger brand, much smaller brand, but we were Always very aligned on a couple of things and things that I'm really proud of. I think one is being evidence backed and everly has has been in a space that I think minds have changed and acceptance has changed around at home testing at home collection, but it always it wasn't always this accepting, right? Like Julia has had to go through you know years of skepticism by the industry, but she has always been very dedicated to the science. Um, And that is something that her and I align on quite a bit is like, no junk science, focus on, you know, what has clinical evidence and, and be buttoned up about it. And so that's one area that we both care, you know, deeply about. I think the other area we care deeply about is having a team that is representative of the people we are trying to serve. And it sounds like so easy, but it's just, hardly ever actually done in industry, um, which is just ensuring that you're building a team that, that represents like that literally is made up of women and people of color. Um, but also that you're creating a culture and an environment where they can thrive. And so that that's something that I always admired of Everly and, and, and Natalist as well. So those are a couple of areas that we're aligned with and within the Everly brand, um, you know, my work kind of is is broader than natalist and I do support Everly as well. Um, but it's all about consumer demand for accessible, affordable lab testing and digital health solutions, which is um, obviously something that's quite timely and continues to grow and is in my mind recession proof because uh, we're, we have so much to catch up on within healthcare. So as I think about, you know, even after doctor's offices and clinics have will return to normal services, consumers are making home testing and telehealth a permanent part of their lives. So the timing of this business, I think, has been really critical to its success. And building those strong fundamentals early on will help Everly continue to to grow and, and make a positive impact in the lives of the customers.
0: Absolutely. I and mean, it's been super exciting to see some of these trends um be accelerated over the last two, three years because you know, back when you were starting yeah. Rock Health, you know, there was actually oh some excitement around digital health. But I think like the Gartner hype cycle, there was a lot of overhype about it and
1: Oh <laughs> Yeah, but I, I honestly like ship. I feel like we were so gasless. I feel <laughs> like like people did not think, I mean, certainly we had believers. Right. And like, I I am forever grateful for those people who like dove in, in the deep end with us. Right. (laughs) But it was, it was a deep end. And there were a lot of people that were on the sidelines with their life jackets being like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not getting in there. You're crazy. I I had meetings early on in 2010, 2011, where I started, I I was like doubting myself. I feel so, I was so gaslit. I mean, they were just like, had, had no, belief that the healthcare system would support any sort of innovation and uh, you know i think we, we proved them wrong there's been there have been a, a, a lot of great advances in this space and i'm, I'm really proud of everything that we've done and we still have a lot of work ahead of us but i think overall i'm really proud of what the industry has accomplished
0: absolutely i mean a, a quote we often talk about on this podcast is uh, amara's law which is people tend to overestimate the impact of technology in the span of a year and underestimate its impact uh, within the span of ten years, um, and I think it's exactly right yeah. with digital health yeah. and what you and Nate saw with with that whole industry. Um, obviously, there have been some graveyard companies along the way that were overhyped. I mean, Proteus and um, yeah, you know, uh, I was an early adopter of the Zio, which I loved. I thought it was a great product, the sleep monitor. Um, yeah, uh, but now, like you know, people just wear Apple watches and they get their their they get uh, basic sleep uh, actigraphy uh, every day. Yeah. Um, and yeah. with these big tech companies jumping in. So I wanted to get your commentary, too, because since, you know, telehealth, digital health, uh, at-home health uh, are all kind of becoming more and more uh, mainstream over the last two, three years, direct-to-consumer health care um, – I'm talking to you right after doing my first one medical appointment. Uh, I hadn't done it, but after Amazon bought them a couple weeks ago, I was like, all right, I got to go check this out for myself too. It was wonderful. Really good patient experience.
1: Was it virtual or was it in person? I went in
0: person and got my lab tests. I literally booked this two days ago went in in less than forty five minutes out of my annual physical plus lab testing.
1: yeah,
0: um, super you know easy, like amazon and and others yeah. have made the consumer experience. What are your thoughts yeah. for the next decade for digital health for at home?
1: Yeah, That's such a great question. I'm uh, so obviously, the adoption of telehealth on both sides has been the most impressive change that we've seen. Um, So not just patients getting more comfortable with it, but actually like the clinicians being more comfortable with it and the hospitals and clinics investing in telehealth as an arm of care that they offer. And I think that we've leveled out at a place that is much higher adoption than where we were before. Obviously isn't what the, the peak adoption rate was in April 2020, but is in a place that accelerated adoption faster than what it would have been before. So if there's any silver lining in, in the pandemic, which I don't think there is, but that is one thing that I think um, has has made a difference and, and will mean that in, you know, six years, seven years, that sort of, you know, care will move from a lot of that was video. So move to phone calls, text-based, you know, easy, more asynchronous conversations with clinicians and other people within your care circle. So I think that that's something that can help kind of lower these barriers for people that need, you know, don't want to wait six months for an appointment, for instance. I think there's gonna be a lot of consolidation. That would be another prediction I have. We have, um, you know, a number of highly valued companies. They might not be as highly valued this year as they were last year, but they're still impressive size companies that have real revenues, real uh, customers. And so, um, you know, I can imagine that there'll be a ton of acquisitions in the coming years where, you know, they're starting to consolidate and roll up. And we're, I think we're already starting to see this 23 and me and lemonade, for example, my third prediction is that we're going to build tools that like truly serve everyone where where women aren't an afterthought. Um, people of color aren't an afterthought and left behind on, on these, you know, new products, but are really built in from the beginning.
0: I love that. And, you know, I, I, as we talked about right before this, Osmosis just joined Elsevier. So we're, as we joked, we're acquisition buddies from 2021. One of our sister products is Complete Anatomy, which uh, has a great partnership with Apple, among others. And just this year, they they released the first full, uh, fully ground up developed female uh, 3D anatomy model which was itself really awesome because before what, you know, most anatomy providers would do and Elsevier is the producer of Gray's Anatomy and Edders, uh, some really great brands uh, would, would basically like change the hair on the, on the male model. Um, And this is, you know, obviously a lot more anatomical changes that need to be taken into account. So it's really cool to see companies like this make, make these progressive and important uh, scientifically validated changes. Um, Yeah. You know, you, I know you said you you joke that you don't want to be a physician. I think you'd be a, a really good physician given your passion for the space and impact you've already made in the space. But, you know, we obviously serve quite a few current and future healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, PAs, et cetera. What would your advice to them be about kind of approaching the next, you know, phase mm. of their career? And it could be just general career advice it doesn't have yeah. to be specific, but.
1: Well, uh, you know, thank you. I think it's a very admirable career decision, and we obviously have a shortage of providers. And there are certain areas where, uh, fertility care, for instance, where there are 18 million Americans who live in a fertility care desert and don't have a reproductive endocrinologist available within, you know, within driving distance. So thank you we need more physicians and people who will you know serve patients we we unfortunately lose a lot of physicians because it's so exciting to be in a digital health startup that that's something that concerns me while i encourage you to dabble and consider uh you know where you can make the biggest impact i hope that you can find a way to continue to see patients and a lot of um you know a, a lot of physicians still do that and i think being able to find that balance where you're still working with patients, which can really help guide your insights to supporting companies. Um, If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably someone who cares about innovation and want to have a hand in it. And I think that there is a way to have a hand in that without giving up the patient care. And I'm I'm just saying that with my public health hat on, because I do worry about our provider shortage. The nursing crisis is something that is very concerning to me right now. On my podcast, The Heart of Healthcare, we did an episode on the nursing crisis. And just knowing that the fewer nurses at a hospital, the more patient deaths there are that being able to just draw those sort of lines and understand the critical importance of, of all providers, you know, is, is really important. So thank you for what you're doing. If you are an OBGYN or a family medicine doctor going to a red state, thank you for what you're doing. I think, you know, it's going to become even more political to serve patients in OBGYN and other specialties where birth control access, abortion care is part of standard care, but has now been politicized. So you know, again, thank you. Thank you for your for your work now and in the future.
0: That's really hardening. And again, th- the fact, you know, you've gone back at 35, you did your MPH. I think a lot of people yeah. who go into these careers, they they burn out early trying to squeeze everything mm. in. I got to do my MD, PhD, MBA, MPH, JD, mm-hmm. all, all in my 20s and, and then do a seven year residency. So hopefully people oh my people here in this can yeah. see, you know, if you think long term, the changes you can you know have for your professional life, your career. Uh, you can do a lot uh, in that in that you know, when you think in terms of decades, not in terms of years,
1: yeah, and school's expensive, man, like debt, med school debt is already is already something you'll be paying off for a while, so you can always go back to school, not that it's easy, but um, you know you'll you'll always be able to go back and I encourage it. I mean, I would say the m p h program had it was probably a third physicians that were trying to. Um, you know, advance their careers and and do new things. And um, I think that it was it was great to be in a classroom with people from every aspect of healthcare, including some people that were new to healthcare, which was cool as well.
0: Totally, totally, it's good to see that um, it's yeah. attracting a lot of good talent across the board. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm aware of your time, so I just have two other questions for you. The the first is, uh, you know, Osmosis obviously cares a lot about education. We are a training and education company. You can snap your fingers and teach anything, a course to healthcare professionals or students, what would it be and why?
1: Ooh, well, if I had, I have to be the teacher. So it has to be something that I, I know, which would be, (laughs) which would be digital health investing. So, um, you know, I've, I've been an angel investor. It's been, um, you know, it's a, it's a high risk asset class, but physicians well into their career, you know, are making certainly more than the average American. And if you can, uh, you know, think about, Being a smart angel investor and putting your money into the companies you believe in and supporting them, I think that would be a great course to learn how to do that.
0: I I agree. Not everyone uh, can benefit as much directly from taking your Columbia course. So if we were virtualizing uh, that or you make that a Coursera course or an Osmosis course, that could be very interesting Um, and good for the companies to have that clinical clinical background on their, um, on their investor base.
1: Totally. Yeah. And then
0: the last question, is there anything else you wanted uh, to cover today or leave our audience with that we haven't gotten to?
1: Can I do a shameless plug for my podcast? Of course. <laughs> so I also have a podcast, um, called the heart of healthcare. And, um, I talk to guests like I had this week, Anwa Wahicke from 23andMe, but really um, kind of span public health medicine and digital health and, and what folks are doing and kind of just get to know them. It's it's a lot like this podcast. So if you like this podcast, you'd probably also like the Heart of Healthcare. Um, and as knows, it's a lot of work that goes into a podcast and we do it for the love of these conversations and shedding light on work that we think is really important. So uh, always appreciate listeners.
0: Totally. And I've really appreciated hearing it as well. And and again, even since I first met you, you were a great convener of some of the best people in the space. Uh, and you've made bets on them, actually, not just with your time, but with your money yeah. that have proven to be very, very successful. Uh, again, not just financially, and most importantly, as I know you agree on the impact uh, it's had on healthcare and the patient experience. Yeah. So, With that, Hallie, again, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us in our podcast. And again, more importantly, for the work you've done to strengthen our healthcare system, or as we say, raise the line.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: And with that, I'm Shiv Glani. Thanks to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org/raise the line podcast.